Hey folks, we have some exciting news to tell y'all about. The Bad Rolling Project has partnered with Expedition 44 and Rival Nations to start the one-of-a-kind No Key But Christ Network. This network will consist of content creators with the focus of Jesus is King and no other. For more information, visit nokeymutchristnetwork.com. Now back to the show. Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks, let's talk 2021. I'm excited to have some folks on today's show who have a perspective you will not hear from corporate media. Did government schooling play a part in what has happened? How did we get to this insanity we are witnessing? Today is the Bad Roman Year in Roundtable, and these folks I invited to come on will not pull any punches, and I love each and every one of them for that. Now, before we get started, before I start introducing everybody, I got a couple of announcements going into 2022. We've uh, My producer feels like that we've reached a point with this podcast that we can start offering some sponsorship to the show. We've got a, a, a decent following. And we've reached to a point that I don't think that many of us really thought we'd get to. And so it's really new ground for the Bad Roman, but it's really kind of cool, too. And we've got some sponsors lined up as well. And we feel like our pricing is going to be very competitive. We're going to offer the first 10 sponsors that will agree to a four-episode commitment. We're going to give you a fifth episode for free. So if you've got a podcast, if you've got a, a an item you want to sell, or if you've got a blog you want to promote, whatever, reach out to us at thebadroman.com, thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com, and we'd be happy to talk to you about it. And we've got two different pricings. One, if you record it yourself, it's going to be a little cheaper rather than if, if I record it. So just reach out to us and let us know if you want to do that. And it'll be beneficial to both sides, I believe. It's going to help us offset some of the cost of the project. and. You're going to get to talk about your stuff for very low price. And my second announcement, I'm really stoked about this. Many of y'all who have been following us for any amount of time have become familiar with Abby Kleckner. And she has co-hosted some on the show. And I was been thinking about this for a couple months, about asking her to come on on a more regular basis to co-host. And to my surprise, she accepted my offer. And I'm really excited about this. She seems she said she's a little nervous about it, but she has been very helpful along the way. She's been with us from the very beginning when I reached out to ask her just to write for our blog. And she's done so much more going on other podcasts to help promote the project as well. And I'm very appreciative of, of that. And she has saved my rear end a couple of times in some of the podcasts as well, notably the one we did with the atheist, because had Abby not been there, I would have been, I, I'd have been in a lot of trouble, but cause she was able to, she was able to stop them on a couple of their, uh, some of their narrative and it was, it was pretty fun to watch. I was just, <laughs> I just kind of sat back and watched it and she handled it for me. So that was cool. And I'm, I'm very thankful that she is going to do this with me. And she's, she brings a perspective. She's a, she's a deep thinker and she's got a perspective that is just phenomenal to me. And I really appreciate it. Abby, that being said, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks, Craig. Those were nice things for you to say about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like I said, it's something I've been thinking about for a couple months and I didn't know if you were going to do it. I know you're busy. I know you're busy with your kids and, and, you know, and work and all, and, but we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. We'll get you in there. And 
we've actually, our second episode of 2022 is going to be an episode I did with Abby on an article that she wrote for our blog, uh, Never Follow Orders, which is something that I completely flaked on and should have <laughs> had on a lot sooner. But I think it's going to fit nicely into what we're seeing go down right now. It's always relevant. <laughs> We'd rather serve God than serve Caesar, you know me? Jordan Kulaga. Did I say that correctly? Yes, you did. All right, cool. So you are new to the show. Since you are new to the show, why don't you uh, give us a little background of yourself and then just tell us kind of where you come from on the education side of it, because that's what we're going to talk about first with this on this podcast today. To, and it, I think it's going to lead us into a whole lot of other subjects as far as 2021 is concerned. Um, so I... Uh... I grew up going to public school, uh, grew up out in the middle of nowhere, West Texas. And I went to school, went to college, decided to get my teaching certification. So I'm a certified teacher in Texas. Um, my experience in the public schools was not pleasant as a teacher. Uh, kind of made me realize it wasn't all sunshine and roses like I thought it was when I was growing up. Um, and so now um, I teach and my son, my only one of my children is old enough to be in school and uh, he attends the university model school where I also teach now. Awesome. Yeah, I think when, once I discovered that you grew up in West Texas, those are my old stomping grounds, too. I grew up in West Texas as well. And, you know, is the Odessa area or the Midland areas where you're from? Or? Uh, yeah. So, you know, Odessa is on the west side of Midland. And then I grew up on the east side of Midland. So between Midland and Stanton. Yeah, I grew up right outside of San Angelo. So I'm very familiar with Odessa. My dad at the time, or my dad at the time, my dad is still alive. He's not, I don't have a new dad, but <laughs> my dad at the time lived in Odessa. So when I would go visit him, we, we spent a lot of time, me and my brother spent a lot of time in Odessa. And it's where all the oil fields are and it's flat mesquite trees and probably the best brisket you'll find mm. anywhere in this country. You're not wrong. Okay. No, <laughs> Carrie Baldwin is back on the show with us today. She's been on, on the podcast a couple of times and I'm excited to have her back on as well because Carrie, Carrie's very, very uh, outspoken about how she feels about things. She does not pull any punches and she's very, she's got a perspective that will, uh, we, we had her on to talk about her Socratic method uh, teaching and, and that, that was a cool episode because She's been trying to get me on. I really need to go on and take her courses. But anyway, Carrie, how are you doing? I'm good, Craig. How are you? I'm doing all right. Well, just a refresher for your listeners. My website is mereliberty.com. I'm also a contributor over at the Libertarian Christian Institute. And, um, you know, I guess my background as is relevant to this particular topic that we're talking about. I'm myself a homeschooler of three kids. I'm actually a, a single divorced mom. Uh, I work from home in homeschool. Um, but even before all that, I was homeschooled myself in the state of New Mexico before it was um, technically legal. Um, so my parents were one of several sets of parents to get it legalized here. Um, and so I like to say that my education was born from civil disobedience. But yeah, I have a degree in philosophy. And one of the methods that I use uh, with my own kids is something called the Socratic method. Some people also call it inquiry-based learning. But it's the idea that you ask questions 
and create a dialogue in order to learn about whatever it is that you're you're trying to learn about. And um, so I went ahead and created some Socratic courses, um, online courses that people can take. They're available for middle schoolers, high schoolers, and adults. And actually, I don't know when this is airing, Craig, but (laughs) registration for my spring seminar is open. So, you know, if anybody's interested in in that, they can go to uh, maryliberty.com. Now we have another new guest to the show. Her name is Karen. Karen Polk, the wife of Chris Polk, and she is joining Chris today on the show. Karen, how are you doing? Doing well. So tell us a little bit about yourself, other than what uh, Chris has not already told us about you before. So um grew up going to public school, became a stay-at-home parent, and we decided to homeschool our oldest daughter. So I've been on this journey for 11 years now. Strictly homeschooling all three of our children now. Chris, would you want to add anything to that while while you got the mic? We made the decision. um, I I was I was a truck driver uh, gone during the week, and we were living in Columbus, and we found out that the city school we had literally had a school in our backyard, like you could hit it with a rock. But we found out that they were going to bus our daughter. You know, I don't know, fifteen twenty minutes away, and that was enough to kind of push us over the edge. I think we'd both always been interested in homeschooling or at least the idea of it. And then it was just like, okay, this is the thing that has happened. And we're going to say, nope, we're not, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not going to let her go. Um, And then we just kind of jumped from there and we have three kids and all have, uh, all are being homeschooled now. And uh, I like to consider ourselves homeschooled because I've been out of the government schools for 25. Oh God, almost 30 years. And the journey that I've been on the last decade has taught me a whole lot more than I ever learned in the government school. So I'm just deciding that I am adopting that I'm homeschooled now. There you go. Nathan Moon is back on the show. Well, actually, this is going to be the first time you're going to be on the show. We've recorded before. He wrote some about, what, six articles for the blog, and we've recorded, but we have not released these these episodes yet. We recorded a couple episodes to try to cover all three. I don't know if we were able to do that, but... Nathan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, where you come come across as far as the uh, education side of it is? Yes. um, My name is Nathan Moon. I think like a lot of people, I grew up going to public school, had fairly decent experience, especially later in high school. Went to college at UW-Whitewater, earned a Bachelor of Arts uh, degree in English, with an emphasis in writing. And... Early on, we had decided to uh, homeschool because throughout college, I had a lot of influence in that way and a lot of teaching I was receiving as far as like uh, sermons and stuff I was listening to and I was getting into my faith. So we were surrounded by a support group where pretty much every family, a majority of the families in the church that we went uh, when we went down to Arizona a lot of them homeschooled. So we had a strong support system there and we were kind of leaning that way. Interestingly enough, when we lived in Arizona, I taught in public school there for one year and that's that's all I could last. That's all I could stand. It was uh, an incredibly eye-opening experience and uh, that, that dramatically uh, shaped my views of public education. And uh, we've tried several well, a few different curriculums, but uh, we've been doing one now for a couple of years and uh, pretty much it. All right. Let me start this off then. Oh, 
Abby, go ahead. I just didn't get to give my school background. So. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was so excited about you being my new co-host. I forgot to ask you <laughs> how you felt about education. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pretty selfish of me. I'm sorry. Yeah. So uh, I went to public school, kindergarten through college. Um, my family moved a lot. So I went to like a ton of different schools. Um, so that was interesting because I, I definitely got to see the the differences. Um, and then my kids, uh, I started them in public school, just like out of my own naiveness, I guess. And it was a terrible experience. Uh, then we ended up finding a magnet school, which it still was a public school, but it was night and day difference and it, it was way better. And we were really happy there. So the kids went there for several years and then we moved out to the middle of nowhere where they all they have is the regular public school. So from that point, I started really encouraging my kids to homeschool. Um, my older two, I, I give them the choice because I feel like the biggest benefit of homeschooling is teaching them to be self-directed and kind of get to make their own decisions and use their own logic to figure things out. Uh, so I in that vein, I feel like it's not my place to force them uh, into what kind of schooling they should choose. Um, so I I allow them to have the choice. They know that I would encourage them to homeschool and think it would be better for them. But so my older two are still in public school. Um, my oldest is a senior now, and then middle son is a freshman, and then my youngest chose to start being homeschooled last school year. So this is our second year of homeschooling. Awesome. All right. A little bit about myself. I don't have any children myself, but I find this this topic very interesting, especially over what we've seen over the past, well, since March 2020, when all this started around then. And what, I, what I've encountered, you know, you see it on social media, but what you encounter out in the real world and trying to discuss some of this stuff with people face to face and it's the, the complete ignorance to how even, even I, I, as an anarchist, you know, we still know where we came from, but it's the sheer ignorance to even how our government system is supposed to work. You know, like people don't even like it, it to me, it's so simple. It's just basic stuff. It's civics one-on-one stuff we learned in public schools. Right. But it's, it's, it's lost on people. And I and it's it's confusing to me how why you ha- it has to be explained like you're talking to a five year old like it's brand new to them like it's a new it's a new topic for them and I don't understand that and I've and I've seen it so much over the past year and a half and I'm sure y'all have as well but I want to start this this conversation with that why why is that was it do you think do you think it was intentional by the public schools Carrie go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, um, I did, and I mentioned in my little intro there that I was homeschooled. I did eventually get into the public schools, and I was, I was in high school from the years ninety four to ninety nine, and I took the very last class that the high school ever offered on civics, and it used to be a year long class before I ever got to it. They cut it down to a semester, and by the time I got to it, I was it was the last class that they were going to teach on it. And when they taught it, the only thing that they said was, these are your elected officials. These are the three branches of government. Um, you vote to get the person that you want into office. And 
you know, oh yeah, we, you know, we need to mention due process and things like this. Um, it was very, very surface level stuff. And then they stopped teaching it. So I think what you're seeing now is a consequence of the public schools not teaching it anymore. I mean, this was my experience in, in New Mexico, but I'm sure that they stopped teaching civics in, or, or if they did, it was a very glossed over and not real education on what our system of government was supposed to be. Right. So that was, and I would say it was totally intentional. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize that, that, that they'd stopped teaching it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've been out of, I've been, I've been out of high school since 93. I graduated high school in 1993. So I remember taking these classes and it's just the, the stuff that, like, like I said a while ago, just, it's, it's just basic stuff that seems lost on so many people. And maybe that's, maybe that's why, but, but a lot of the people I'm talking to are my age though. You know, they're not, they're not 20 year olds. I could understand it. You know what I'm saying? I could understand if it was 20 year olds doing it, but I'm talking about folks my age, but maybe they've been so, they're, they're so focused on what their, their news, anchor, their favorite news anchors saying or their favorite politicians saying that they can't hear anything else. So I don't know, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's been a very interesting thing to watch over the past few months. And it's been very frustrating because I had a guy tell me the other day, on Facebook, I mentioned something about something to do with executive orders or something. And I was like, you know, you do understand that the, the federal government does not have this authority to do this, you know, and, and, and federal law does not supersede state law. This is why we have the 10th Amendment. And the, the comment I got from this guy is like, well, where did you get your law degree from? And I'm like, you don't have to have a law degree to understand this. This is basic stuff. All you got to do is do a little reading. This is high school civics, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Go read, go read what the founder's intent was behind this. It's very simple. Just go read. That's all it takes. Well, and it's even, it's, I, I'll just say this one last thing. It's even more simple than that because executive orders aren't laws. Thank you. The executive branch of government wasn't, was, was not ever supposed to make laws. You know how many times I've run into that over the past, the, the, the past 20 months, 22 months? It is a law. I was like, no, it's not a law. <laughs> this is basic stuff, man. Anyway, I'm going to go on a tangent. Hey folks, Craig here. We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to play an ad, and this is new ground for the Bad Woman Project that we're super excited about. So here's the ad. Here it goes. Blockchain Trading Company, purveyors of fine digital assets since 2021. Blockchain Trading Company aims to be the leading decentralized autonomous organization in decentralized finance by establishing ourselves in company with one another as purveyors of fine digital assets. Join our primary community in Discord where our ever-growing arsenal of tools are readily available to equip you in the brave new world of all things blockchain. See you in the metaverse. Go ahead, Chris. So... I feel like a lot of parents, and we've seen this over the last year since the homeschool community has grown since COVID started, there's always a trigger. It's, it's, it's safety. It's quality of education. There's something that happens that makes you go, okay, I've got to, I've got to, I have to do this, right? But I feel like the reasons over the years, now that we've been doing this 11 years, they multiply. Like we keep finding more reasons to homeschool. Okay, and in my professional position as a trainer and mentor of people that want to become self-employed, we always ask them, well, why do you want to do this? And they say, well, I want freedom. And I said, freedom from what? Because you may get freedom 
to not do something, but but there's so many other responsibilities that come with that. Okay. But I watch now. I've had white, black, young, old, male, female, gay, straight, foreign born, natural. I've had them all. They can't read. They can't comprehend what they read. They can't do basic math. They can't think. And I had, and especially now that I, in the trucking industry, the front door comes to these giant corporations. And so I get people that were trained at these giant corporations and it's sit down, shut up, don't ask questions, do exactly what you're told. And so we have to convince people to think. And and I probably need to take Carrie's course because I've got to figure out how to teach that to my employees and program participants, because the idea of just thinking through something and not having me just give them the answer. I'm like, guys, I'm not going to just give you the answer. I'm going to, you're going to ask a question. I'm going to ask you a question because I'm trying to get you to think through the process. And it is so frustrating, but it goes back to civics being a perfect example. What's well, my line? Shut up, slave. You know, don't, don't ask questions. You do, listen, you just do what we tell you and we will train you how to go into the factory and pull the lever. Go into the factory and pull the lever because that's what that's what the uh, the Prussian model was built to do was turn people into robots. So I just I just see it from such a different view that I never saw coming that now I'm having to take grown adults and go back to the fundamentals of math and go back to the fundamentals of, well, why don't you read your email? Well, I didn't see it. Well, read it again. Oh, yeah, there it is. I saw that. It's it's maddening. Jordan, go ahead. Uh, I'm just going to piggyback a little bit on that. Uh, one of the things that got to me a lot whenever I was teaching in public school, um, it got to the end of the year, and we were looking at um, you know where these kids were going next, and we had a discussion where we sat down with you know the kids that were struggling the most, and we were deciding are they going to repeat this grade or are they going to progress? And there was one kid that I mean, I taught math, and he was probably the lowest kid that I taught. He struggled with pretty much everything. Um, He had a lot of personal factors. I mean, he was Hispanic. He had low income parents. I mean, a lot of like stuff going on at home that was a struggle for him. And so he didn't have the support. You know, he didn't have someone there helping him do his homework every day. He didn't have all that. And I mean, that whole year we've been over backwards trying to do everything we could to help him because he was just falling behind. And I remember sitting in that meeting and saying, I don't think this kid should go on to sixth grade. I think he is going to completely just not be capable of doing any of it. Like he is not prepared. He will not succeed. We have to hold him back. And they looked at me and they said, I agree with you, but we've already held him back once. Admin will not let us do it again. They said he's already a year older than everyone. He's already behind. They will not let us hold him back again and have him be two years older Because then, you know, with puberty and social structures and whatever else, basically, he's going to be ostracized. So we just can't do it. They won't let us. And I was like, it's such a catch 22, you know, because this kid will not succeed. He is going to get further and further and further behind every year. And you're just going to graduate him as a kid with, you know, hopefully a fifth or sixth grade education by the time it's all said and done. But he's going to graduate and be out in the world. And what's he going to be able to do? Pull a lever, like Chris was saying. He's not going to be able to do anything for himself because he's so far behind. And they, the teachers, that's why so many teachers are getting out of it too. It's not just parents that are going to homeschooling. 
teachers are getting out of the schools too. And it's because of stuff like that, because they want to help kids and their hands are tied by the administration and there's nothing they can do about it. And it's just sad. Honestly, it's sad for all those kids. It's sad for their parents. It's sad for the parents that don't even know. Like, I don't know how many of those kids that I worked with actually have parents that knew how far behind their kid was. We had a thing just a couple months ago here in Tyler. Uh, This kid was a thought he was going to graduate. Turned out he'd only passed three classes in his four years of high school and he was about to graduate. And they're like, oh, wait, just kidding. You can't graduate. You don't have the credits. And his parents were like, what? What what do you mean? Like, he's been in school for four years. What do you mean? And they had no clue that he had passed three classes in his high school education. Didn't even know. And that's just sad. Like, that's all it is. It's just sad. That sounds like it's more on the parent side of it then. You know, and I got, and I got, I want to ask you something because Abby mentioned something before we started recording about teacher shortages. And you just mentioned about more teachers are going to homeschooling themselves. Do you think that has anything to do with teacher shortages or? Or does it at least plays a part in it? I think teachers have. So just a little side note, my my background is primarily in behavior. Um, I actually have a master's degree focusing on human behavior. And teachers in general have a job that requires such extreme effort that the more you pile onto it, the more likely you're going to see escape behavior. You're going to see them trying to do things to get away from it. That's why teachers are all super excited at the end of the school year and ready for that break because they literally need the summer for their mental health. And they don't even get the whole summer off like people think they do. Like whenever you have the responsibility of 30 kids in a class times, say, four classes a day, you have 120 kids that you feel like you're the only one who's going to be able to help them learn math this year and that you don't have any support from the parents or anything else. And then you pile on all the admin, the red tape, all these different things that you can and you can't do. It's no wonder that teachers are wanting to get done with it. I mean, that's why I'm not doing it. I'm in a private school now. I have two classes. I have nine kids in one and 10 in the other. And even that, I mean, I still spend several hours outside the classroom every week helping them. But that's a reasonable amount. I'm not doing it for 120 of them, you know? Right. Nathan, go ahead. Yeah, um, I guess I want to try and touch on some things that have been said by everyone so far is when I was going to school, I, I think it depends on personality kind of, because I was, I was a student who wanted to take the AP classes in high school. So I took like AP gov. I took my history classes. I wanted to learn these things. And I also took classes that um, fit other interests, like, you know, creative writing and, and that sort of thing. So I think it, it's a lot of its personality, but I think a lot of it too is having having those teachers that are rare that will kind of shepherd you and guide you in those directions and and they're able to see some kind of potential in that student and, and push them to say, "Hey, I think you should consider this so I got I would say a fairly decent introduction to civics uh, and part of my AP gov class we actually took a trip to washington dc and we had a everyone had to choose a topic to do a research paper on and we would meet with elected officials and we would interview people who are experts in those fields and we had to use those as our sources in our paper but you had to have the grade to be accepted into that ap course to even be able to have that so it's 
One is about initiative. Two, it's about whether or not teachers actually care anymore to push students in that direction. And the other thing is, okay, so now I'm out of college and I'm looking at being a teacher because that's what I want to do. I love teaching people. And so I take this job, which how I even got the job is hilarious because I answered, we, we wanted to leave and get down to Arizona so fast that I was like on Craigslist looking for any job available. And I found one for a teaching position at a school in Western Phoenix. And I got accepted for this teaching position through a Craigslist ad based on the good faith agreement that I would further my education and actually get certified as a public school teacher. Because I did not have certification to teach. I just had my, my bachelor's in English. So I went and I taught sixth grade English language arts. And I was working toward teacher certification. Uh, so I was working full time and going to school full time. And I was technically a long term substitute. And then once I earned my certification, then I could be hired through the school district as a teacher. And I, I don't think that's uncommon, especially because of teacher shortages or programs like that out there. But I joke that almost anyone can be a teacher. All you have to do is just find the Craigslist ad and, and you know, dust off your, your, um, your transcripts. But that doesn't mean that you're a good teacher. And I think that, you know, education, I have the definition here, is defined as the process of receiving or giving systemic or, or systematic instruction, especially at a school or university. And I think that a lot of parents are pulling their kids from public education because they're realizing they're not receiving systematic instruction. They're receiving systematic indoctrination. And there's a very clear, obvious agenda that surfaces more and more and more over the years. And even teachers, and they don't even have to be conservative people, but a lot of teachers are beginning to, to question whether or not they can afford to take on more responsibility for that, for that much less. I think Jordan mentioned, you know, how much teachers actually have to deal with. And that's, it's a lot of things that teachers have to do quite literally have nothing to do with actually giving children an education. Someone said in the comments here, I hate grade levels. I hate, I hate grade levels. I hate, you go down the list. There's a lot of things that teachers have to deal with that have nothing to do with education. And yeah, it, it's a difficult profession. And I think that from the beginning, you would be surprised the shift that took place in American education back in the like the 1800s, I think it was, when we began to adopt more of a public school education system. There was a dramatic change and shift in the way that society uh, went after that, because that was not the typical model. And it, I think if I remember correctly, I could be wrong. It was based off of like a lot of uh, European philosophy and, and educational philosophy. And it really ruined and destroyed the family uh, fabric because now parents are not responsible for educating their children. Professionals or the state is. And so it takes a lot of responsibility away from the parents. And so now 
you have parents who, like what Jordan said, they have no idea what kind of education their children are getting. Uh, they have no idea how far behind their children are. The teachers do, but the teachers' hands are tied because the administration oftentimes does not support teachers. And I would say probably 80 to 90% of my homeroom all had Ds or Fs, so not passing grades uh, in a majority of their classes. And I went to my administrator, the principal, and I said, why are we passing these students forward to seventh grade? And he told us, we do not retain students. So these students were not proficient at all in, in, in a lot of uh, core academic uh, classes, but they were still moved on. And that was when I really made the, the hard decision uh, or I came to the hard realization that I am completely wasting my time. That's sad. I mean, it's Carrie, go ahead and say what you have to say. Well, there's a lot of moving parts here. We've had several comments that I think should be discussed about. And just for clarity's sake, I have actually two different courses. I have a course where I guide the thinking process of the students. And then I have a course where I teach you how to guide your own students in the thinking process. And one of the things, one of the very first things that I teach all of my students, regardless of which course, is who is responsible for learning. Because when we talk about education, we are talking about what the adults are doing for the kids, but we're not talking about what the kids are doing in order to learn. And this is, I think, a, a mistake I want to use Nate's example for a second, because one of the things that he points pointed out was that he was interested in a number of different subjects. And the student's interest is incredibly important because that's where their brain is going. That's, that's where their desire is going. If they don't have a desire to learn something, they're not going to learn it, no matter how good the teacher is. So, and then the other thing that I talk about with my guiding critical thought classes is asking the question, what, what is a teacher? Is a teacher a gardener or an architect? An architect is designing a product from the ground up and saying, this is how it's going to look at the end. And this is what the public schools do. And I think it's, I, I wouldn't blame teachers so much as I would the, administra the administration and the bureaucrats. But it's this idea that our children are blank slates and we can mold and shape them into whatever we want them to be into our, our, you know, into an image of our own choosing. And that's where we get messed up. Um, a better analogy is that good teachers are like gardeners. They're creating an environment where the students can thrive and grow. And the end product is not going to be the same. I mean, if, you, if you've ever gardened, you know that you might, you know, harvest a bunch of carrots and each carrot's going to look slightly different. But the only way that you can make the carrot grow is by providing the environment. And then the action of growing is, is up to the carrot. It's same thing with the kids. The action of learning is up to the, is, is up to the student. There's most definitely, and I want to touch on one of Chris's points, and then Craig, I'll give it back to you. There is definitely a process to thinking that most people are unaware of. We're all thinkers. We all think. Some of us are more reflective about our thinking than others. And one of the keys to teaching our kids how to think through things, which is the actual learning process, is thinking about what it is, the information that's coming to them. In order to teach that, you have to be familiar 
with that actual process. You have to be familiar with the struggle in yourself so that you can recognize the struggle in your kids. And that's a process, you know, coming, coming to know those things. So, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of room to complain about how the education system itself is flawed. I would say it's by and large admin, school administrators and bureaucrats. They put a ton of pressure on teachers. Teachers in turn put a ton of pressure on kids and parents. Parents put a ton of pressure on kids and kids are carrying the education systems on their backs and they're not, they, they shouldn't be doing that. But I wouldn't blame teachers entirely either. A lot of people who go into teaching want to be able to be that gardener. They want to be able to see their students thrive and become who they're supposed to be. And they're being bogged down by the bureaucracy. All right. So you, you said something, it, it kind of goes along with what I wanted to talk about or, or bring up because I know when I, we, we moved to Arkansas when I was halfway through my senior year in high school. And you mentioned kids need to be interested in something before they're going to learn something, right? I'm paraphrasing what you said, but I hated school. I'm going to say it outright. I hated school. There was no way in hell I was going to go to college. I knew once I graduated high school, I was done. I was going to find me a job. And thankfully, I found something that was that I could live off of. Now, when I, when I was learning in Texas, when I moved to Arkansas, I had already learned a year before in Texas. Okay. And I think, and what I'm, where I'm heading with this, because I think I want, I think homeschooling is more, is more beneficial to a child or private schooling is more beneficial to a child than public schooling. We got to Arkansas. Oh, and guess what? In Arkansas, I could pass with a 60. In Texas, I had to had at least a 70 to pass. Okay. When I, as, as uninterested as I was in school, when I got to Arkansas and realized I could pass with a 60, dude, I slept my last semester of school. I did not care going on in there. But I do like to learn things. I've learned a lot of things since I got out of school. I enjoy learning. I enjoy reading. I'm learning new things because it makes me less ignorant. I'm always going to be ignorant to something, but it makes me a little less ignorant. It's fun for me to learn. When I was in school, I hated it. I did not learn anything. I did. I, I learned the basic stuff to get me through school. And my mom was terrified. I was not going to walk across the, the, the stage to graduate in Arkansas because I slept <laughs> for the second semester of my schooling. You know, because I, I mean, I, I, I passed by the skin of my teeth and I could have I probably could have done a lot better, but I didn't care. It was uninteresting to me. I hated it. I hated it all. How much of that do you use in your regular life today? I don't remember any of it. I can add two plus two. I can add. I can multiply. I can divide. I can do that. I did learn that. I'll give them that. But other than that, I didn't, none of that stuff. I don't remember. That's my point. When we're teaching our kids how to think, if we use their interests, we're providing them the environment for them to thrive in the thing that they were designed to do. Now, their interests may take them in any number of directions. Like my daughter, for example, was first interested in fashion design. She's since changed her mind on that. But my philosophy with homeschooling is that education is learning how to learn so that you can teach yourself whatever it is that you want to teach yourself. So education isn't learning the facts about history or the facts about science. It's learning to understand why those facts are important. And that's the missing piece with a, with a lot of these things. Even when it, you know, you mentioned at the very beginning of this, civics. 
We learn a bunch of facts about civics, um, you know, three branches of government. You have elected uh, representatives that you vote for every two to four years. Those are facts. Why are those things important? And that's a whole nother level of thinking that especially the public schools don't take you through. They're more interested in you passing tests and making grades because that's how they get their funding. But the actual learning process is, is a thinking process. And that's what we should be teaching our kids is learning how to learn. You're not going to know as, as a parent, you guys are not going to know absolutely everything that your kids are going to need to know. And so if the kids are learning how to learn, then whenever they're faced with a new thing, you know, blockchain technology, they've got the tools at their disposal to go ahead and learn it, even though their parents don't know <laughs> much about it and can't teach it to them. What parents now need to be empowered with, which is, which is the difficult part, what parents now need to be empowered with is knowing the, this learning process that I'm talking about, being able to recognize it so that they can teach it. And that's a, that's a, that's a whole deeper level of learning than we're accustomed to. Hey folks, Greg here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors have no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. Chris, go ahead. We've got this really precious picture of our daughter, who is 15 now, when we ordered our first set of curriculum, and it came in boxes. And it was a three-syllable was a three syllable word, curriculum. You know, she was so happy when it showed up. And they got more out of the cardboard box than they did actually out of the curriculum. Because you could turn the box inside out and, and turn it into a castle. <laughs> Sounds like my cats. <laughs> but we had this idea that, oh, well, this is awesome. We'll buy this one set for her and then the little brother. And then with the third little brother it hadn't come yet. But we'll just be able to hand this down. Well, guess what? That doesn't work. Because all three of our kids are incredibly different. They all have different. And I, I want Karen to talk about this because this was the thing that we learned over time that, and we see people come new into the, into the homeschool community, like, okay, I need a curriculum. And I'm like, well, good luck. Because if you got more than one kid, you're going to need more than one. Well, it's just overwhelming for one, because there's so many choices. But we've found out, uh, especially being a veteran homeschool mom, that people come to us and ask us questions. And especially since all this has happened with the pandemic People have been pulling their children out, and all they want to do is replicate public school at home. And that's the huge, huge problem, because you can't do that. The kids get burned out. The parents get burned out. The parents feel like failures, and it's just a never-ending circle. So we just tell them to breathe and just go with what they're interested in, like, Carrie was mentioning, when you're interested in something, you can make it apply to every subject, math, Minecraft, anything. I mean, the building, the using math, uh, our youngest, he was doing math problems, 
just by Minecraft because we hadn't covered it. He was like preschool age and he was doing basic addition problems. And I'm like, where did you learn that? Minecraft. I was like, okay. So I just think we overcomplicate things. Children have the natural desire to learn. Keep it simple, stupid. There you go. Nathan, go ahead. And when you're done, Nathan, I want to switch gears just a little bit. We're going to talk, keep talking about the same thing, but I kind of want to lead into like, towards what we've been witnessing over the past few years because of the education side of this. Go ahead, Nathan. As a teacher, I kind of bucked the system a little bit, and I taught sixth graders the skills I was taught in college, how to read and analyze a text. It may have been a simple sixth grade story or a little, uh, you know, a sixth grade um or, or a news article that had been edited to, to be at a sixth grade reading level, right? But I still showed them how to read those articles and find the necessary important information and how to uh, explore those things. And I think one, one point I want to talk about is, you know, Chris kind of mentioned it before, I think maybe before everything started is people just not stopping and just reading the information that people are, are giving given in front of them. I, I think that's huge. People don't know how to read and critically analyze information to determine what information is important and how to apply that information. So that's a huge hurdle. So when we started homeschooling, we a, a lot of homeschool curriculum is you get a workbook and you just give the facts as a parent from your teacher book and then they're filling in circles, they're filling in blanks, they're, you know, it's basically the busy work a teacher would give to a class if like they're misbehaving. And, and, and you just, you, you slap the worksheet down on the desk and okay, fine, well, now here's a pop quiz. And they're just filling in circles, and you're just vomiting information at them. That's every student's worst nightmare. But that is what a lot of homeschool curriculum is. Because like, what they had mentioned was a lot of homeschoolers, a lot of people who are new to homeschooling, what they end up doing is they end up trying to just mirror what happens in the public school. And that's just as damaging. So what we do is we do simply Charlotte Mason, and that's very literature focused. So it'll take a subject, say history, and rather than reading the textbook version of the Greeks and Romans or Egypt, it'll take those historical events and put it in narrative form. So we read a lot of storybooks centered around historical events, and that's how our children learn about these things. So it becomes interesting, and then they want to learn more beyond just that storybook. They want to learn more facts about the Romans or more facts about the Egyptians. So finding a way to make the information interesting to a child is what's not happening in public schools. And it's because it's just a bunch of information that's put in bullet point form, charts, and really boring documentaries or clips where if you put it into a narrative form, humans are narrative by nature. We love telling stories. And I think that has kind of helped us open up our child's love for learning and actually She's in second grade, but she reads at a sixth grade level because she cannot get enough of just reading and reading and reading and learning more about the Egyptians or Pinocchio, you know, and introducing classical things into a curriculum as well, like classical music, painting, that sort of thing, mixing that stuff in and keeping it fresh 
and just allowing children to just explore and do the things that they want to do. They want to paint. They want to draw. They want to play music. So those things should be incorporated, but you can still give them that deep, rich, classical education. And they learn a lot, a lot more than what a teacher with 30 minutes is able to teach to 30 students who don't want to be there. They want to play Minecraft or they want to, you know, go play, you know, and that's a whole nother subject because they don't get enough time to just play. Their recess is 15 minutes long. Uh, the research shows that they need like, I don't know, <laughs> more than 30 minutes to just run around and skip and, and push each other off the swings and stuff. They need to do those things. But we have all these behavioral problems because we expect them to sit there like adults in a desk for eight hours a day and just retain all this information. They don't care about that. They would care a lot more about it if they could actually just be a kid in the process. So I just want to say adults aren't supposed to sit for eight hours a day either. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know a lot of stuff that we do in our perfect, like, it's like, man, why do our work days have to be so long? Who came up with this idea of a 40 hour work week? Half the stuff that we do in a day doesn't need to be done. I guarantee we're all wasting time. <laughs> yep. Abby, go ahead and say what you got to say. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that that was the one of the biggest reasons that I have been trying to get all of my kids out of the school system and have gotten my youngest out. And, and one of my biggest frustrations and one of the most beautiful things about homeschooling is that they can dig into a topic as deep as they want to, because I had the experience I remember in fifth grade, we learned about the Holocaust and I became like super obsessed with it, like way more than a normal 11 year old girl should be obsessed with the Holocaust. Like every time we went to Blockbuster, I was renting Hitler documentaries and like trying to get my friends to watch them on sleepovers and (laughs) (laughs) had my parents take me to the Holocaust Museum in D.C. and But I was so frustrated because it was like they just gave us a little taste and then they were like, and then America won the war and rescued everybody and that was it. And it was like, well, what? How did that happen? I wanted to understand how it could have possibly happened that like a whole country could go nuts and just like decide that all the Jewish people should die. Like they never gave me an answer for why that happened. They just wanted me to move on and after that point, it was like I was totally disinterested in history because it's like, yeah, you might hear something interesting, but you're not really going to dig into it. They're not going to explain the like thinking behind it or the events that led up to it to really give you an explanation. And and until like, you know, the past 10 years, probably I thought history was super boring and pointless until you can really dig in yourself and understand like Nathan was saying, the the narrative that went behind it and the reason why everything happened rather than like dates and events. And I had the same experience with my oldest that, um, oh my gosh, he loved to read. He would read everything he got his hands on. In third grade, he was reading through all the Harry Potter books and got to a point where they wouldn't let him check them out from the library anymore. It was like they limited, you had to be in fourth grade to get like the second the like older Harry Potter books, So we had to like go get them from the real library. But by the time he was in sixth grade, we had a parent teacher conference and she was like, oh, do you have any feedback or whatever? And I was like, well, you know, one thing he constantly complains about is that he doesn't get enough time 
to read that they get this short amount of time and he it's not even enough to finish a chapter and then even if they're like in the middle of a sentence they just have to close their book and move on to the next thing and he really wishes he had a longer amount of time to read because he loves to read and um the teacher's response was like okay so maybe we just need to learn on or work on his transitions and helping him to be better about transitioning to different tasks and it was kind of like really is that what we need <laughs> to work on we need we need to teach him how to follow instructions better <laughs> right exactly and from that point he was just less and less and less interested in, like school crushed his love of reading out of him because they wouldn't let him enjoy it and become absorbed in a book it was just this very limited amount of time so after so many years of that you're kind of you get to a place where you're like what's the point point? and like Nathan was saying it really depends on your personality, a lot of factors, but kind of how compliant you are of whether you're going to keep enjoying school and wanting to learn more is if, if you're more okay with saying, okay, the teacher said, I have to stop reading now and move on to the next thing. And, and you're more motivated by that feedback of the teacher encouraging you for being really compliant. Or if you're the kind of kid is who's like, well, no, I constantly am just frustrated at this process that I don't get to look at the things I'm interested in. I don't get to keep reading this book I'm absorbed in. So what's the point? I'll just throw up my hands and kind of do the bare minimum until I can get out of this place. Those levers aren't going to pull themselves, Abby. (laughs) (laughs) Jordan, go ahead. So this is sort of uh, two things. One, Abby, on the reading deal. Um, did you guys ever have, and some of you, I doubt any of our kids have experienced it, especially those of you that have homeschooled the whole time, but those of us that were in public school, did y'all ever have a deer day, drop everything and read? Do y'all remember those? Or is that just my school that did that? That That's when we went into the woods and shot deer. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. no, we did. We did stuff like that too. Did you guys have like sustained silent reading too? We had that, we had like a five minute period before like every homeroom where like you would read a book and it couldn't have any pictures so you couldn't have like your manga you couldn't have your anime it had to be a chapter book and all this stuff and it stifles the the child's interest in reading but anyway sorry i say i i did not remember that but i distinctly remember um a couple times a year all through elementary school that you were allowed to show up to school in your pajamas and you got to bring your blanket and your pillow with you And you would literally just find a place to camp out in the hallway, in your classroom, whatever. And you would sit and you would read. And that was what you did all day. And it was like twice a year that you got to do it once a semester. And that was my favorite day of school, like every year. Everybody else looked forward to the days that they wheel in, you know, that big TV on the on the thing with the VCR and all that. Like, that was what everybody else looked forward to. I look forward to Deer Day. Um, but you're right. Whenever you don't experience the contingency, like, so your behavior is affected by what goes on around you. Right. And so if you are constantly contacting these contingencies that, that you're not getting the reinforcement you're looking for, or that the thing that you find reinforcing is being removed from you, or that you're just not in a position to, you know, gain something from it your value of that reinforcer drops. It's like you said, your your son doesn't want to read anymore. Like, because he just, there's no fun in it. You're not getting it, you know? And so much of the way that we do things in the public school system, I mean, the whole thing is engineered to create 
these behavioral contingencies where you are rewarded for just pulling the lever instead of being rewarded for thinking about why is this lever being pulled? What's going to happen? And like you were talking about the Holocaust, Abby, like that was such a big thing for me coming out of public school the last like 10 years or so thinking about history. The history that I got in public school was, hey, all this bad stuff was happening. And then America came in and solved it. And then, oh, this bad thing happened. And then we won because we're great. And, you know, this thing happened. And you know what's really cool about it? America's the best. That's what's cool. Like, that was the extent of my educational lessons in history. Like, that's all I knew. So imagine my surprise. Yes, that is West Texas. That is very West Texas. <laughs> you know? I'll say something else about West Texas. If we had pajama day in Grape Creek, Texas, they would have banned it because we'd all have showed up in our underwear. There was no pajamas. They would have canceled it the first day. That's awesome. But yeah, like, I, I mean, it's been, I've had to consciously make an effort the last you know, five, 10 years to find information on historical events that is not skewed to America fixed it because we're the best. Like, that's what I got as a kid. And so now, like, you know, I understand in a way these MAGA people like, oh, yeah, make America great. Like how it was in the 50s back when we were awesome. Like they don't see that there's another <laughs> side to it. They think that that's literally how it was because that's what public school taught them. You can't really blame them for not knowing any better because they're too dumb to know they're dumb. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if I want that to get edited out or not. Sorry. <laughs> no, this, no, no, we're keeping that. We're keeping that. Because I got to tell you something, this is this is completely off what we normally do with this podcast. And I love roundtables, especially the year and stuff. We can talk about and gripe about stuff we've seen all year long. It gives me a, a, a chance to vent, listen to everybody else vent. So I love this stuff. Now we're keeping that one. So go ahead, Nathan. I'm sorry. Abby mentioned something that we have, maybe we have to work on his transition time. Everything in the public school for as long as I can remember, and I don't think this will ever change. It is designed to train people psychologically to be the drone in society, the dutiful, obedient citizen. And the language, well, I think we just have to work on his transition time. Like he's like transitioning from the water cooler break to returning to his cubicle in the ministry of truth, you know, to revise all the newspapers and, and magazines and, and stuff, you know, like, like it's 1984. Everything is designed that way. And to piggyback off something uh, Jordan was talking about is the danger and what we're seeing now is the narrative in public school is swinging away from America was great, America was God's nation after Israel, to America's the worst possible place you could live. And if you're a white heterosexual male or if you're a white heterosexual female, you're a Karen. Uh, you're a jerk, you're a racist, you're a bigot. And so there's these two extremes that this country has swung back and forth between. And now we're swinging back to this this dangerous, you know, extreme left idea in society. And I think all of us here in this conversation and a lot of people listening to this conversation, being that we're anarchists, we have, and if you have any interest in homeschooling your child, you need to explore that interest as far as you can, because that's the only way you're going to have 
complete voluntary control over your child's education and what values they have, which is going to be a balance between those two extremes and the ability to discern between the ridiculousness that's going on in society, where you can look at both sides and say, no, you're wrong. Your understanding of history is flawed because this, 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 and this. We are in a very unique point in history, I think, to begin truly educating people about the benefits of taking more interest in actually educating their children. And as someone who is in the public schools, you know, it's funny to me that people have this idea, I couldn't possibly homeschool my children. If I had to spend that much time trying to teach them, I would lose my mind. But first of all, our homeschooling day is like half, half the time it takes than, than, what they, than what they have to sit in that school. Number two, if that's true, why are you constantly at your child's school trying to tell the teacher how to teach your child if you don't think you're capable of teaching? Like, that doesn't make sense. Either you trust the teacher in the, in the education or you're selling yourself short because, you know, you, you, you've been taught that this is the only way to do education and it's not. Nathan, you said something that reminded me of some guys I work with and they were thinking about homeschooling when all this stuff was starting and they were going to, they ordered this stuff, they were going to do it. And then they realized that they, they didn't have a babysitter anymore. Like basically a lot of parents treat the, the public schools like a, like a babysitter and then they weren't be able to take care of, they didn't have anybody to watch their kids while they went to work. Was, that's the way they look at it. I don't want to go off on a tangent on that, but that's what I, that's what I witnessed when all this was starting. People were thinking about homeschooling. Hey folks, Craig here again. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode, the first 15 folks to sign up for four ad spots with us will get a fifth spot for free. You can also support our mission by donating on our site. I'm so happy how this project has grown, and thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the conversation. Carrie, go ahead. Well, I'll just say a couple of things. One of the things that I have learned, that I have observed, not just with the public school system, but with homeschoolers who try to replicate public schooling at home is this immense pressure on the kids. And this pressure, uh, from what I've observed, is a consequence of the adults' anxiety and insecurities about education and where their kids are going. And what I've observed is that that anxiety comes from these, these questions that parents normally ask themselves, which is, you know, am I doing a good job? Am I preparing my child the way they need to be prepared? Am I giving them everything that that they need? Are they going to be ready to uh, hit the ground running when they graduate and they're 18? There's an incredible amount of anxiety that goes along with that. But the public schools make it worse because Part of that anxiety has to do with, you know, the teacher may lose her job, right, if she doesn't have enough students performing. The school may not get enough funding from the state or from federal programs if they don't rank well. I will say this, my, my kids did spend um, a, a total of a year in public school when I was going through my divorce. And the, the school that they attended for, for one semester, um, or one of those semesters, was a school that had ranked very low. It was ranked very low by the uh, 
by the Department of Ed, the State Department of Ed. But parents absolutely love the school and kids love the school. And they had this program where for an, I, I believe it was, I want to say it was like 30, 45 minutes a day. Um, it was sort of like that deer program that Jordan mentioned, but they had the option of either reading whatever it is that they wanted to read, going outside and playing sports or, uh, you know, doing some, some other kind of project. I think it was like STEM, you know, science and, and technology and math and things like that. And the kids absolutely loved it. But because they had a low scoring by the state, the administration was fired and they got new administrators in there and they cut all of these great programs. And then my kids were coming coming home in elementary school, coming home with four hours worth, worth of homework every night. And that just added to the, the pressure and everybody felt it. But a lot of parents, you know, I think when they're faced with the question of, okay, do we pull our kids out of school and homeschool or not? They are still taking this pressure that has been artificially placed on them by bureaucrats and supposing that they're taking on more than 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 they can handle. And so I guess I what I want to say to any parents who've just started homeschooling or who are thinking about homeschooling is it does not have to be that way. We also only have about half a day of the kids doing doing schoolwork. The rest of the day is dedicated to them doing something creative or productive. Um, and they are at liberty for for figuring out what that is. They have to explain how it's creative or productive. But if you're a parent who's facing this question and saying, should should we really do this? The pressure comes off, at least in so far as the pressure that you're feeling from the public schools. And there are so many resources. I know Karen mentioned that it's almost overwhelming how many resources there are. I remember when there was one curriculum for homeschoolers. But if I had to give anybody advice about how to go about homeschooling, the key is getting your kids to learn how to learn, and then they can teach themselves anything. And don't be afraid to let their interests drive them, even if it's something that's non-academic, right? Being a mechanic, you know, being a carpenter, uh, doing things with your hands, we still need we still need people like that. Not everybody has to be a doctor or a lawyer or a mathematician or a historian or anything like that. We need, we need people to produce as well. And so taking these tools of learning how to learn so that they can learn how to um, fix a car or my son learned how to fix bikes. He, he's interested in opening his own bike shop. Te- teaching them entrepreneurship and learning how to learn so that they can teach themselves whatever it is that they want to is the best place to start And then you can look into curriculum and things like that. And the last thing that I want to say when it comes to curriculum, especially with things like history, history is almost every history curriculum that I've ever looked at is not telling the whole story. Um, And that's just that's just a practical fact of the matter, because it's it's impractical, impractical to tell the whole story. So if you learn this, uh, like this method that I use, the Socratic method, you can take any curriculum, even terrible curriculum. And as long as your kids know how to ask questions of the curriculum, then they know how to work through that stuff and figure out, you know, what's, uh, what are facts that, that they need to know and why they're important 
Um, and even what's the propaganda? Like teach them about that, right? Because there's, there's propaganda in all of it. But if you learn, if you teach your kids how to ask questions, and that's sort of, that's where my courses focus on is learning how to ask questions, then it doesn't matter if the curriculum is good or bad. You can work through it all. Chris, go ahead. So, you know, Nathan was talking about the pendulum swinging, you know, of of far right, far left, right? And and when I look at this, I see this this timeline of this organized education, the media coming into the picture, the the state as it is, they grew together and they almost grew into one. And so now you have all these talking heads on the news that came through the universities, were taught not how to think, taught what to you know, what to think. And what I see is the the wrecking ball of decentralization is coming. And a lot of these people don't see it coming. And we are we are not going to continue down this path. And there's a lot of people that are in for a rude awakening. And I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. But I'm seeing it in my industry. I see it in we see it in theology. We see it in religion. The decentralization and uh, deconstruction, you know, which was easy for me as a kid. I love to take stuff apart. You know, I could be on one side of the house and I could hear my dad scream on the other side because I had put the car on jack stands. I mean, I didn't follow through. I just I just wanted to see what it looked like jacked up. And then, you know, he gets ready to go to the store and the wheels are off the ground. Right. But and we and my youngest at his destroyed, you know, we bought him a drum set and it was in a million pieces because he just took it all apart. But you can't see what's on the inside until you take it apart, right? So deconstruction is happening. We we have watched this through, you know, Keith Giles and and how we've all deconstructed the ideas of faith and the story of Christ and the gospel. And now this decentralization it is going to break down all of these uh, these forces that have been in in power for so long. Of course, they don't see it coming. And I think it was Carrie earlier said. You can see blockchain coming down the track, right? If you're paying, if you're halfway paying attention, you don't have to wait for somebody to give you permission to figure it out. You know, our kids are in the position right now where we don't have to be distracted by all the nonsense that's been shoved down their throat. They can look at blockchain and crypto and all these other exciting things. They can go study it on their own and be miles ahead of everybody around them when it comes. So to me, I don't, I don't ever get super uh, down, you know, I don't really get discouraged because I can't help but see all of the exciting things that my kids are going to get to experience. And I might as well go along with them. Jordan, go ahead. I was going to throw back a little bit uh, to what Carrie mentioned earlier. Um, You know, one of the things that we had talked about when we were planning this episode was, um, you know, kind of encouraging people that are thinking about homeschooling as far as, you know, what, what's out there and and everything. And, um, you know, for me, one of the things that was a big, big, um, sort of fear, uh, for me was picking the wrong curriculum. You know, Carrie talked a lot about how, uh, it doesn't have to be exactly right, but I'm one of those people that, um, I will just analyze every tiny itty bitty little thing and, and pick things apart until I end up with this huge spreadsheet of, you know, 50 different columns of pros and cons. And I've got them set to do a certain percentage of weighted value. And me, me too, Jordan, I went through that and I realized, Oh, I don't have to do this. (laughs) 
Right. So that's kind of what led me down the path that we ended up on, which is um, the university model school. Um, mm-hmm. Because basically my son goes to school a couple days a week. And then on the other days, he's home with us. And we're just doing the work that is assigned to him on those home days. So I'm not choosing the curriculum and I'm not the one like setting the pace. I'm just implementing it and doing it with him on those days. So I, I was joking earlier, I called it homeschool light. It's basically an option that if, you know, if someone wants to homeschool, but isn't quite confident enough, try to find something like that, you know, find something like that, find a, um, a co-op, find something where you've got other people that can support you with it and it can help you out. So you're not just, you know, looking at a sea of resources on the internet going, I can't do this. You can do this, you know. I'm I'm real tired of seeing on the internet people all the time being like, how dare you think you can teach your own children? You're not qualified. Whatever, man. Like up until a couple hundred years ago, everybody taught their own kids. And yet somehow the human race managed to survive and cross the entire surface of the earth. No, like get off your high horse, figure out that you are qualified to teach a child and help them learn how to learn. When I had mentioned that I had been homeschooled before it was legal. And at the time there was only one curriculum available. And I remember that. I remember what my mom went through because there was, you know, she, she wanted to homeschool us. There was only one curriculum. It didn't always work the way she expected it to, but it was sort of like, you know, those were really the the pioneer homeschoolers. And it was like standing at the bottom of, you know, Mount Everest and having absolutely no climbing tools available to you. Today, you're still standing on the bottom of Mount Everest, but there are people around you. There are tools available. There are, and there are already people who have started climbing who can show you the way. And there's more than one kind of, of homeschooling too. You know, you've got the unschooling, you've got the self-directed, you've got the university model, you've got all of these different things. And I've said before, there are so many resources available that if the Department of Education, which by the way, only was established in the 1970s, if the Department of Education closed tomorrow, the United States could still have and probably even improve upon our education. We are not lost without them. In fact, we're better off without them. And we already have the tools to do it. It's there. I want to say something around about the Department of Education real quick, because with all the everything that's going on with the vaccination stuff at, at the workplace and what we've seen going on, I've had to conjure up a lot of my old statist ideals to talk to folks about this stuff, that people are super ignorant to this stuff. And I want to say this, the Department of Education is unconstitutional. There, I had to get that out. I've still got some of that stuff <laughs> regurgitating out of my mouth right now, and I can't help it. It's unconstitutional. It's, it's not supposed to be around. Let's get some final thoughts. Nathan, you had your, your, your hand up while ago. Let's get some quick final thoughts, and we'll do some plugs and let y'all get out of here. Yeah, um... First of all, if you think you cannot homeschool for whatever reason, maybe you feel like it's a, it would be a financial burden or maybe a time burden, this is the future of your family. This is the future of our country. Sacrifices are going to have to be made. A lot of homeschooling families, they can do it with two parents working, but a lot of times a parent <laughs> may have to make that sacrifice. Uh, it is possible for single parents to do it. You have to find the model that works best for you. You know, there's this popular saying, there's no such thing as a stupid question. <laughs> so if that's true, then there would be no such thing as a wrong way to educate a child so long as you you seriously take their interests seriously 
and you take the time to just take their needs and interests and their education seriously. I don't think it's impossible to do that with your child in public school. But either way, no matter what you do, based on what your family chooses as best, you have to realize that you, either way, should be taking a more serious interest in your child's education than what you probably already are. If you're listening to this episode, chances are that you're either already a homeschooler, you're leaning toward homeschooling, or you already care greatly about your child's education. So don't think that it's beyond you or that you're incapable or that you are not certified to do anything. That's your child. That is your child. So do that. And um, also some resources. Just get online and look at uh, all the different curriculum that's available. And also look for homeschooling groups. My wife is part of a homeschooling group. And a lot of the field trips we do and a lot of the education is we go to different parents' homes and one might be on a farm or whatever. and, And they get to learn about animal husbandry or gardening, or they just get to play with other children. Take the step. It's a good adventure. And there's so many different resources online. It's up to you to take the initiative to do that. And I think that's a recurring theme with me is just take the initiative. Your student needs to take the initiative and you as the parent need to lead by that example. Nathan, go ahead and plug what you want. If you have anything to plug, go ahead and plug. Um, Yeah, I write at www.anabaptistapologist.com. That's my main website. I do a lot of um, theology and stuff like that there. I'm also trying to to do a lot more um, fiction and poetry writing too. So if you're if you have an interest in that, I I started another website nlmoon.blog. So you can check those places out, see what I think, see what I write, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you if you have a student who likes writing, who likes to write poetry or likes to write fiction or whatever, um, it might be a neat opportunity for them to feel like they uh, they they have a voice that can be heard. That helps me a lot through school is finding those those creative outlets. So I'm actually trying to provide one for people who have children who like to write who who like to write, and they can um, send submissions. I'll edit them. I'll put them up on my little online literary journal and it's open to people of all ages, all skill levels. And I'm trying to develop a tutoring service through that as well. So um, that might be a resource that you might find familiar. So that's at nlmoon.blog. And then the other place I write at is www.anabaptistapologist.com. Yeah. God bless. Awesome. Chris, any final thoughts and anything you want to plug? I think there's a great opportunity for us as homeschoolers to maybe get some of these disgruntled teachers to open some little schools, you know, I mean, there is, there's such an opportunity because there, there are people legitimately that have a real time crunch when it comes to trying to homeschool, but that's a real thing. There are plenty of parents that work two jobs that are able to do it, but we could we could certainly do that. We just got to get past the point of asking for permission. And I don't ask for permission much anymore. You know, so now that I'm I'm not driving full time, um, I'm hoping to be able to put a little bit of my resources maybe into that, too. But, you know, it, it would almost be like an organized co-op, maybe there's but but there's got to be something there that that we could do to provide that opportunity for those that, 
you know, either just, they just don't have the time to do it, that we just got to get away from the centralized model. So you can find me uh, at com. Uh, we do the Blue Ribbon podcast on YouTube, and uh, we teach people how to be self-employed owner-operators in the trucking industry. Jordan, do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to plug? I do not have any sort of blog or anything like that uh, to send people to. I'm just glad I was invited to be a part of this. I had a lot of fun talking to you guys. And really just want to encourage anyone, you know, anyone who's thinking about getting their kids out of public school that you can't do it wrong. You know, anything that you do, if you're doing it from a place of love and you're doing it to do what's best for your child, no one on this earth is going to care more about your child than you do. I mean, it's if you're the kind of parent that's even considering this, it's because you care. And so you've been given that child for a reason and you're being entrusted by God for that child to take care of them and to raise them and no one can do it better. So trust your gut. If you think that they need to be in a different spot than they're at, then do what you can, man, you know, find some resources, talk to some people, talk to any of these guys here that have been on this show right now. I mean, everybody can help you figure out another option besides where they're at. If it's not working for y'all. Abby, I think we need to get her on the show just for the uh, comedy. We could, we could have a whole hour worth of listening to Jordan talk and, Talk about how dumb people are. I love it. I get a kick out of that. <laughs> I'm not going to turn that down. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, go ahead and any final thoughts and plug your stuff. Well, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that I teach courses in critical thinking. My Liberty Seminar is opens every semester. So it's it's open right now for the spring semester, which it sounds like by the time this airs, <laughs> registration will be closed, but it will be open again for the summer session. Um, and you can go to my website, mereliberty.com slash liberty seminar, all one word. The other course that I teach is called Guiding Critical Thought. Um, this is aimed more at parents or even teachers who really want to learn this process of thinking, learning how to learn. Um, and it's a very experiential sort of course. I take you through the experience of thinking so that you can identify the actual process so that you can then replicate it with, with your own kids or your own students. So that's guiding critical thought. That is um, ongoing registration. You can join it at any time. And information for that is also on my website, mereliberty.com. Um, if you just click on the courses page and then click over to the guiding critical thought page, you can get information on that. And otherwise, if you have any questions, you can send me an email at Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y at mereliberty.com. Abby, I don't know if, what do you want to plug? You got any final thoughts? I want to plug anything. Yeah, I guess just final thoughts. Um, I think this is a really exciting time for homeschoolers. Like I've only been homeschooling for a couple years now, but when I first started, like I'm in a very remote area and there was absolutely nothing. I was totally on my own. And now just in the past couple of years, I've seen homeschool groups pop up and we're actually part of one now and that does field trips and stuff. So I think, uh, and like Chris said, teachers are getting out and they're starting up their own things. And um, I think that we're just seeing both an exponential increase in homeschooling families and also along with that, the market providing all these kinds of different opportunities. So I think we're going to see more and more a lot of really cool different options for kids because just for the same reason public school doesn't work because we're not 
cogs that all are the same, that have the same needs. We all need different kind of homeschooling options and stuff for our kids. Or like the Polks were saying, every one of their kids had different needs. Like it's, it can't be one size fits all. So um, I think that that's encouraging to me is that I'm seeing so many opportunities open up. I think society is going to keep going that way because I think even people who are fans of the public school have a list of criticisms about it, of how it's not working. So I think it's only going to get better from here as we see more opportunities open up. And as we see, like the public schools have gotten so bad since COVID, like they're literal prisons that we're sending our kids to every day. So and then, yeah, I don't have any other stuff except for the Bad Roman, but you can find me there and, and hear more from me in the future. Yeah, the, the regular host of that show is pretty lame, but I hear it's fixing to get pretty <laughs> great with a new co-host. So You just search for the episodes that have Abby Kleckner on them, and those <laughs> are the ones you know to listen to. I highly recommend <laughs> that that direction. I told Abby and joking about this when getting her to, or asking her to uh, to come on. I said that people are chanting, more Abby, less Craig. <laughs> I can hear it. They're they're standing outside my door as we speak right now. More Abby, less Craig. All right, guys. I'm going to let y'all go. And I really appreciate y'all's time and coming on and speaking with me. Love you guys. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com.